Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you're here with us today. This podcast is all about business, branding, sports, leadership, and of course, how to move the ball. And this episode is part of my special coaches series where I'm having conversations with Division I football head coaches, assistant head coaches, and also coaches from the NFL. So for today's episode, we're moving from college football coaching, like we discussed last time, to the coaching world of the NFL. I've got a special guest with us for today's show, someone who has spent many, many years coaching both in college football as well as in the NFL. And so inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Aaron Cromer. Aaron played college football at the University of Miami, Ohio, and post his college football career transitioned into the world of football coaching. That's why he's on the show. And he spent his first 10 years of his career as a college position coach and then crossed over into the NFL, where he began his pro football coaching career with the Oakland Raiders in 2001. Aaron also coached for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the New Orleans Saints, the Chicago Bears, the Buffalo Bills and most recently was the run game coordinator and the offensive line coach for the LA Rams. Aaron also served as the interim head coach for the Saints, and he was a member of the coaching staff when the Saints won Super Bowl 44. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jen. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to have a chat with you and hear your perspectives on what it takes to be a great leader and a great coach and also to enable and empower the team for success. And as a podcast host, I'm always thinking about what's the right question to start off the conversation. And I think where I want to kick things off is talking about the parallels between life and football and the lessons that the sport teaches us to be successful beyond the game. In my Move the Ball book, I know you know there's a number of principles where I draw these parallels, but I'd love to hear from you kind of what are the lessons that you've taken away from the game as a player and as a coach that have really helped you to be successful both on the field, off the field, as a professional, as a coach, as a leader? You know, that's a good question, Jen. You know, one of the things that you realize when you talk to someone in their upper ages is the successful people, they talk about learning. They talk about constant learning, no matter how old you are. You know, you think school, you're going to learn. You think college, you're going to learn. You think a coach is going to teach you something. But the parallel between life and sports is constant learning, constantly getting better. And, you know, in, in the sports world, that's where a coach comes in if they're a good teacher. And I think that's where coaching starts is to teach someone something they don't know or continue to critique in a positive manner something that they do know and they have to get better. One of the things that I've seen over the years, especially with young kids, is a coach yelling at a or coaching in their eyes to a young player and saying, why did you do that? And I always think to myself, if the kid knew what to do, he would have done it. So don't ask him why he did it. Tell him what he should have done and how he could do it better. And that's just part of being a teacher. And if you always look back as a parent or a coach, You know, are you teaching people around you the things that you want as opposed to 
talking about what they didn't do. And and so that leads me to my first component, I think is very important as a coach, and that's to communicate. And that's an easy word to say and a hard thing to do, because it takes a lot every day, I think, to wake up in the morning and decide that you're going to have clear and honest communication. And when you talk about clear and honest communication, you need to be able to speak to people in a way that this is the reality. This is what happened. This is what I think is the answer. And how do you feel about that? And just constantly being able to open yourself up to the possibility of rejection and the possibility of someone disagreeing with you. But if you're constantly clear and honest with the person, you know, you're going to have a chance to earn respect. And, and when I say that in the NFL, it doesn't always happen, but on the good teams that I've been on, there's been clear communication between the coaches, the coach and a coach, a coach and a player, a player and a coach, and players to players. That's when success happens because everybody, no one's hiding behind the fact that it might not be right. Everyone's saying what they think, where they're picturing themselves going. And then before good or bad can happen, you can adjust or stay on path with that communication. But that is so key. And then with that communication, man, you got to be able to collaborate with the person you're working with. And in order to do that, you have to listen. So you have to have such strong core beliefs in your own playing style, coaching style, the way you want to approach games. You have to have such a strong core belief that when someone's talking to you, that you're in a situation where you're not thinking of your response. This is key. You're not thinking of your response to what they're saying. You're thinking about what they're saying. And that's probably the number one thing in failure to communicate. How many times you've caught yourself saying to yourself, well, while they're talking, you're thinking of why your reason's better. And instead of having an open mind and listening to what they're saying and having enough fortitude in your core beliefs that you can listen to what they're saying and adjust and adapt accordingly. So just being able to communicate and then collaborate together to get something done. I was in a meeting yesterday with a group that was talking about, you know, the differences, how a GM and a head coach can get along. Who should pick the players, the GM or the coach? And when it's all said and done, there is no difference between what I just said and what should happen there. A general manager and a head coach have to be hand in hand. And someone's going to make a decision, but there's going to be communication, collaboration, how we're going to use this player, how we best think this player is going to fit our organization and where we're going to go with that person for that person to have success. And it's just one more example at a higher level that is so important in sports. And I, I can see that there's no difference between that in a marriage, that in a business, that in the government, very similar type attitude there. The third thing is understanding that when you make a mistake, that you have the humility to tell someone, hey, I thought this was the right way to go. And it wasn't. We should have adapted to this. I didn't think far enough ahead for this type of situation. So learning from your mistakes makes for a better player, better parent, better business person. What mistakes did I make? Did I admit that it was partially or all my fault? And do I have the humility to admit that to someone with the clear and honest communication that, well, we did this, maybe we should have adapted just a little bit here or there where we could have more success. But that takes a lot. That goes back to, are you strong enough? Do you have enough fortitude to handle those situations where you don't feel like you're getting judged on every word that you say 
but you're getting judged on the final result and not every single result that happens. Absolutely. You mentioned, you know, communication is important. Uh, collaboration is important. Actively listening, right? Is that listening to understand other people's perspectives versus just trying to formulate your response to that? And as you mentioned, I mean, humility is an important part of leadership. And I'll say that that goes to taking ownership owning the thing, the actions, the decisions that you've made and being strong enough in who you are to say, you know what, I made a mistake. You know, I own this and acknowledging that to your teammates, to your colleagues, to the leadership around you so that you can collaborate and figure out how do you move forward from what just occurred. So I think all the things that you touched on are really important, whether you're in sports, in business, in a relationship with somebody else, these components are key to being successful in all of those areas. Absolutely. You know, I don't think that is said enough because everybody wants success. You know, everybody says, well, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be successful. Well, as I get older and as I've worked 20 years in the National Football League, you know, at first, everything is like, when are you going to be a head coach? When are you going to be the starting quarterback? When are you going to be a pro bowler? And, and if you would just stop and enjoy the process, and everybody understand that, you know, you're doing it because you have a passion for what you're doing and you really enjoy what you're doing. The most focused and the most at ease and the best coach I've ever been is when I realized I don't want to be a head coach. I don't want to be in an interview three times a day with the media about the same practice that just happened that we just walked through a couple of plays and there is no answers to anything that they're asking because we really didn't do anything that day or I want to teach. I want to feel good about leading my group or our group and teaching guys to get better and assessing what we're doing and reevaluating and doing it. And that's when I freed my mind to not get in that rat race of one where, how are you doing with becoming a head coach? It's not, that wasn't important to me, but it was important to everybody else. And being able to choose what you think is best and not listening to that outside world is where you can really enjoy your day really enjoy your process. And then the players feed off of that because they realize the same thing. Absolutely. I think it's important to understand kind of where is it that you will find that passion where you're connected to that purpose and being happy in the roles that you have as you're progressing in your career as well. It's not just about trying to get to the top, so to speak. And some people don't want to be, like you mentioned, the head coach, but it's enjoying the journey and the moments and the roles that you're in and giving the best that you can for that particular role, enjoying the experience, bringing value to the team, et cetera. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you've served 20 years in the NFL as a coach, you spent a number of years in college coaching. Can you share with us in your mind, what are some of the differences between being a college coach and an NFL coach? I mean, when I have a lot of players on, they talk about how the NFL is a business. They talk about how the speed of the game is different when you're coaching NFL athletes versus college athletes, you've got a mixture of age levels, some way more mature than others, some are veterans. So talk to us about some of the differences in coaching at the collegiate level versus the NFL and what you think are some of those important attributes, aside from the things that you just mentioned, that really help to be successful at the NFL level. That's a good question, Jen, because the thing about the National Football League compared to college is the colleges start by trying to out-recruit the other colleges. So what you see is the best recruited teams end up having a lot of success, not all the success because they might not get coached well enough to win at all. 
but they have better players in seven out of the 10 games that they play that they should just naturally win. And they would screw it up. It would be screwing it up. So, you know, they coach and they push these guys and they do their thing, but it's really a lot about that recruiting. Then the top echelon college teams are the ones that can recruit and coach and they get their players to do it. And when I say coach, you have such a variety of player type personalities because you have so many more people on the team because they're young. They're so much younger. They're coming out of high school. They've had such different backgrounds and, and how you can put all those guys together. I think colleges could do a better job of, and they don't get the time to do it. It's the issue. They have their 20 hour a week. They obviously the kids have to go to school. And so they're limited to a point, but if they would allow just another five hours a week where they could get to know these guys, like we get to know our NFL players um, and really know what makes them tick. I think that they could get a lot more out of these college players because they would know that that person cares about them. Because that's the thing about the NFL that we found and I found over the years is if they know that you're really trying to help them be the best they can be. And what if it's the best backup guard or the best backup center or the best starting position somewhere? That's what it is for that individual. But as long as they realize that everything you're doing is to make them better and understanding that you're not just going to blame them and cover yourself when things go wrong. That's one of the keys. So in the NFL, you have to be very specific on what you tell a player because they are so in tune with their bodies and how they move that you you have to if you tell them to do it, they're going to do it. If you ask them, hey, move your foot or use your hands in this fashion and it doesn't work and they, you know, get beat or drop a ball or incomplete pass or whatever it is, get beat for a touchdown. If it doesn't work, you, there goes the humility again of saying, listen, I thought against that particular player, if you did that, you would have had success and it worked three out of four. But here's where I failed you. I didn't say, what if this? And when you have that kind of relationship with a player, you can work together and they can grow and they'll listen and you will have way more success. When you're dealing with a guy in that fashion, you know, you, in the college, you still see a lot of yelling to motivate. And and I don't know if that's, you know, it's, I've been out of it for 20 years out of college football. So I don't know if that's needed still. I, you know, is it, you know, some guys that don't really want to work and they're just there and they shouldn't be there or what it is. But I think to get to the top players in anything you're doing, if you want to get to the top players, you have to coach them. You have to tell them in a way that they feel not combative or they'll listen because they know you have their best interest at heart because you're not trying to blame them for something. That's one of the things that I thought over the last 10 years, you know, that has really changed in the NFL. And I don't know if it's changed or you just realize it, that you can coach a person, you can tell and ask a person to do it. You can include them in it and they'll do so much more than just telling them what to do. You know, the 70s, the 80s, I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, which was at one time called the Cradle of Coaches because Paul Brown started the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Weave Eubank won the Super Bowl. And and then you had the college coaches with Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes coming out of there and, and on and on with successful coaches. Well, back in those days, they yelled to motivate. They they use scare tactics to motivate. And 
as people realize that that's not the way to motivate a person because they'll get so much more out of themselves if they feel good about themselves, if they feel empowered. That's where we're, I, I feel like we're having more success than a lot of teams and a lot of guys because of the way you empower the players. And one example I can give you is this. We used to, when I was, I was 33 years old and I was on the stage at the Oakland Raiders, John Gruden's the head coach. And I would stand up there on a Wednesday of a game week and I'd look at Jerry Rice and Tim Brown and Rich Gannon and all these guys that were great players. And I would say, hey, this on a piece of paper up on overhead, this is what plays we're going to run. And this is how we're going to block their defense. And these are the things we're going to do. And looking back on it now, when we go in in the last 10 years, instead of showing them and telling them exactly what we're going to do right from the beginning, now we say, listen, we're going to watch the opposing team's defense. And we're going to see how they play. And we're going to see what kind of blitzes they use on first and second down. And we're going to see what kind of technique they're going to use and who's good and who's not good or who's less good because everybody's good in the NFL. But how they play and how they – and then after a good study and them telling us, hey, listen, how are the – I would ask, how, how do you see this defense playing? How do you see the guy over you playing? And totally just ask them what they see, how they see it. And then have them visualize the plays we're going to run off of that video. And that's something that, you know, just to empower them to be able to say, I see the defense. Now let's talk about the plays we're going to run. Oh, I already know and can visualize the technique I'll have to use, the assignments that I'll have, because we talked through it with them. And you're giving the players the tools to solve the problems if it's not exactly right during the game. Like they change something, they put somebody else somewhere or and you've now they've been empowered to use the tools that you taught them as opposed to just me going up there and telling Jerry Rice who to block and how to do it and those kind of things. I feel like that really has empowered the players. And then when you review the tape, if you think about after you've done something, after we've done this podcast and you go back, the most sensitive time you are to any type of failure that happened during the podcast or during a game is right after. Or the next day, you're defensive. I did my best. I did everything I could. You didn't tell me this. You should have told me this. And so right from the beginning, if I were to ask somebody to coach the way I'd like them to coach, I would tell them, put the tape on and everything that goes bad, blame yourself. I, as a coach, every play that was one person might have missed their block as an offensive line coach, I would say to them, I wish I would have coached you to do this. I wish I would have told you to look this way as opposed to the way I thought we were coaching. Then at that point, now the wall is down. Now the defense is down. We don't have to worry about whose fault it is because our coach has already said it's his fault. And now the player looks at you and say, well, we did work on that, Chrome, but I could have seen this better. I just messed it up. And we move on because all we're trying to do is create a positive outcome. But the process takes you to that outcome. And as long as you can enjoy the process, like we just made it, because I blamed myself, I'm big enough to say, like, I, okay, I wish we would have done that 10 times. We only did it once in practice. We should have done it 10, and then this wouldn't have happened. But that's where I think coaching is going and should have been all along. Because, like I said, people aren't trying to make mistakes through life. They're not trying to make mistakes in football, in any sport, in business, they're trying to do the right things. And at the time, they thought that was right. So how can we solve this without the blame game? 
And I think if we can get more coaches to blame themselves, you're going to get more players to do and listen at a higher level. Sure, you bring up some great points. I mean, first about empowering the team, engaging the team, and whether you're coaching football players or as a business leader, I work with a lot of executives and coaching. And part of that is it's not about telling your people what to do. It's about engaging them in the process, right? Making them feel like they're contributing. They're assessing their, they've given the, they've been given the tools. They're utilizing the tools. They're coming up with solutions and being a part of that conversation and that path, that path forward, not just being told what to do because people don't like to just be told what to do, right? They feel more valued when they're engaged in the process. So I think that's important that you bring up. And then secondly, you also are talking about taking ownership again over the blame part. And when I was listening to you share this, I was also thinking about when it comes to having difficult conversations, again, whether it's difficult conversation in your relationship, in the business setting, because of a performance issue or whatever, if you can make the other person feel like they can let their guard down because you're not attacking them and you're just having an open conversation, starting with you and your contribution to it, then that makes the path forward so much easier because the other person feels like, okay, let's talk through this, figure it out and move on, right? Versus them feeling these negative feelings or, or shutting down on you because they think you're going to yell at them or just attack them or criticize them, that kind of thing. So I think those are two very important elements that are important for not only sports, but also to be successful off the field in business and in life. One of the other questions I want to ask you about. So I mentioned when I read your bio that uh, you were on the coaching staff for the Saints, won Super Bowl 44. How do you coach for a Super Bowl? Is it different in any way? And if so, what is the difference in that preparation in the playoffs and then ultimately the Super Bowl? Another great question, Jen, because the intensity of the attention is the difference. So you can play on a Sunday at one and it's a certain intent. You know what kind of focus is on you. You can play Sunday at in the night game and you're the only game on. You could play Monday night. Those two games, totally different as far as you know the attention that you're getting that day. And then you start going playoffs and Super Bowl. Well, you know, you try to say to yourself, it's just a game. It's just a game. But you know that your entire life, all you wanted to do is play or coach in the Super Bowl or your entire professional life. And so you get to that point, And the biggest key is to do what you've done to get there and control your emotions. It's very difficult because they, the timing of NFL games to start with obviously are usually a week apart, then they're exactly the same as far as you go out for a warm-up, you come back in, you have a certain amount of time, you go back out, national anthem, and then you, you kick off. The Super Bowl, there's an hour between the time that you walk out on the field and the kickoff because of all the pregame shows and all those things. So you think you're going to do well. You're like, okay, I got my, I'm under control emotionally. I'm under control emotionally. And then all of a sudden you get on that field and that's taking longer and longer and longer. And you're like, I, I don't know if I'm under control anymore. <laughs> and so it is a tough situation emotionally. The field's still the same length. The players are still the same. There's just so much on the line, just like any kind of top competition or the, the, the last game of any kind of tournament. But so that's, that's what changes. You, you know, obviously. 
there's two weeks to get ready for the Super Bowl, all but the one I was with the uh, Raiders the one time. It was one week, but most of the time it's two weeks. So the first week, you got to hear from everybody about what tickets you want and get all that organized. Meanwhile, you're trying to put the game plan in. Then you travel to the Super Bowl. You're like, well, let's treat this like everything else. Well, the difference is the media attention during the week. It's normally, you know, the Tom Brady's, the Drew Brees. They're going to get spoken to. You know, you're going to have your head coaches. Now, all of a sudden, a lot of the players are dealing with media, dealing with questions that they don't normally deal with. And and some of the guys are uncomfortable with it because they haven't done it. So they get that all week. And then and then this game builds up. And so it is tougher. And I think Avery Johnson came in and spoke to us at the Saints. And, you know, he really hit home when he said, just do what you've been doing all year because it got you here. And don't try to do anything more or anything less. Just continue to do what you've been doing. Focus on the things you've been focusing on. Emphasize the thing you've been emphasizing. And good things will happen. Because so many people think when you get in those situations, you have to do something extra. You have to do something out of the ordinary. And in reality, more games are lost than are won. And so if you just don't lose the game and stay on course what got you there, you should win the game. I appreciate you sharing that. So I want to take you to the next segment of the show where I do my fun two-minute drill. But before I do that, I just want to ask you, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given by a coach? Listen. Listen to the people around you. That's a good piece of advice. Actively listen, too, I would guess, as well. Correct. Great. So what I want to do now, ask you some fun questions. Are you ready for the two-minute drill? I am ready. All right. The first question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? A basketball player. Okay. How about who would play you in a movie about your life? I can't even fathom that that'd be a question. My (laughs) brain won't go there. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, Next question then is, what is your favorite vacation spot? Uh, Definitely a beach. Uh, In the U.S. or abroad? I'm a huge fan of Rosemary Beach, Florida. Okay. Florida's got a lot of nice spots. How about what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. Okay. What is a pet peeve of yours? I try to avoid pet peeves. Okay. How about what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I am reading for the second time because there's so much in it. How to Be an Anti-Racist, Ibram X. Kendi. Mm, I'll have to check that one out. Appreciate it. Great book. Read that book. Thank you for the recommendation. And my last question is, you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? I would go Tony Robbins for motivation, how he can get himself up as many times as he has to motivate. I'd say Tom Landry, Mm -hmm. how he could stay so calm and be so good and so cerebral and be such a good coach. And I would say Abraham Lincoln, how he could change the country. Mm, Those are three great choices. So as we look to close the show, I do have one last question for you, Aaron. So there are a number of college athletes, pro athletes that listen to the show. Is there any advice that you would give to players out there who are looking to you know, be successful in the league or trying to get to the league? If there was one thing that you would say to them, what would that be? I would say be like Jerry Rice. You know, I was with Jerry as a young age at the Oakland Raiders when he came over from San Fran. And Jerry didn't worry about anything but himself. He worried as far as like he didn't let outside things get to him. He just came to work every day at whatever age he was at that time in the um, wee hours of his career. 
He came out early. He worked. He just focused on his game. And then people followed him because he was so focused on his game. And I think when you don't worry about what other people are getting, what other people aren't getting, what you're not getting, what balls you're getting, if you just work over time, it'll work itself out where, you know, you're just focusing on yourself and working on yourself and people will follow. I like that. It reminded me of a quote that I posted recently that that said, people who win in life don't worry about the people next to them. So that aligns very well with that. Uh, so Aaron, how can people stay in touch, follow you on your journey? Where are you at on social media? <laughs> I'd like to say I was on social media, but I'm not. Oh, um, good for you. <laughs> which is kind of weird, I know, but I have chosen that I think it's better for me not to be on social media and just put full focus on the players that I'm coaching and my family. Oh, well, I love that. Good for you. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for being on the show today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jen. We re- I really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.